Hi, Carrie. Hey, Parker. Today we are talking about the elephant in the room, or the many elephants in many rooms. Yes, we are, and I'm looking forward to it. So, welcome to The Growing Edge. I'm Parker Palmer. And I'm Carrie Newcomer. To the words and habit To us and how we live between the words. So we're going to explore a, a poem today. It's a poem by William Stafford called A Ritual to Read to Each Other, which does indeed use the elephant as a metaphor. And it, it seems appropriate because we live in a time when there are many elephants in many rooms that really need to be talked about. Uh, we thought that this poem uh, would serve our purpose as well as a kind of metaphorical exploration of some very real issues that are facing us in, in this day and time in this country and, and around the world. Well, would you just go ahead, right ahead and, and read the poem? It's a, I know it's a, a little bit of a long poem and we're encouraging people uh, on our website, on the podcast page for this episode, we will have uh, the poem posted so you can either stop the podcast and, and read along or read it later, um, but, but it will be there It's because it's just a little bit of a longer poem than we usually do. Right. I'm glad to read it. It's one of my favorite poems, and I know you love it too. So again, it's called A Ritual to Read to Each Other by William Stafford. If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, a pattern that others made may prevail in the world, and following the wrong God home, we may miss our star. For there is many a small betrayal in the mind, a shrug that lets the fragile sequence break, sending with shouts the horrible errors of childhood storming out to play through the broken dike. And as elephants parade, holding each elephant's tail. But if one wanders, the circus won't find the park. I call it cruel, and maybe the root of all cruelty, to know what occurs but not recognize the fact. And so I appeal to a voice, to something shadowy, a remote, important region in all who talk. Though we could fool each other, we should consider, lest the parade of our mutual life get lost in the dark. For it is important that awake people be awake, or a breaking line may discourage them back to sleep. The signals we give, yes or no or maybe, should be clear. The darkness around us is deep. Thank you, Parker. Uh, I know you've uh, known this poem for a long time and have a great love for it, and, but it was a new poem for me, though mm. I very much enjoy William Stafford. Um, and it is, it's a wonderful poem, and, and there's so many wonderful layers of meaning here. And So, so let's go right ahead. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I'll, I'll read that first stanza one more time, and then we can talk about it a little bit. That would be great. It's always good when you're reading poems together to hear it in different Voices uh, yeah. opens up new, new meanings, so please do. Okay. If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, 
A pattern that others made may prevail in the world, and following the wrong God home, we may miss our star. I, I just think that's such a powerful way to, to open this, this ritual that he wants us to read to each other, which is precisely what we're doing right now. Um, because it's so clear that we live our lives in patterns. And the big question is, who makes those patterns? Are they the best possible patterns? Are they patterns that we take for granted because they haven't been challenged either in the culture or in our own minds? And are we, in fact, as he says, following the wrong God home, therefore doomed to miss our star? Um, to be very concrete about it, I'm thinking a lot. I know you're thinking a lot, Carrie. I know a lot of people are thinking a lot about what the, the protesters in the streets of this country are now calling forcefully and nonviolently to our attention about the pattern of systemic racism and structural poverty that this country has lived in for 240 years, ever since its founding. Um, and so many of us, white people, like you and me, have you know, taken it for granted in, in way too many ways. Um, so that the very, the very phrase, Black Lives Matter, for some white people is heard as offensive. That's not, that's mm. not true for you and me, because we understand, I think, the weight of that phrase and the importance of it in American culture, that whose pattern is to take white lives seriously, to treat yes. white lives as if they matter, but not to treat the lives of people of color as if they matter. Um, and, and so, um, this, this very opening verse, I think, um, really names in a powerful poetic way, current realities uh, in the United States. It does, in fact, give us the news that you can't really quite get from the media. Yeah, and I think also in this opening stanza, he's kind of um, giving you a, a real introduction to what the rest of the poem is going to be about. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, that there are these patterns. Um, and if we aren't mindful of that, the patterns may prevail. They'll just keep going. And I, I love how he says, you know, and following the wrong God home, we may miss our star. We may miss an opportunity uh, for something different, something better, something... Um, you know, that really expands the human, human potential. Right. Maybe, maybe something called love, truth, and justice uh, yeah. as a societal reality, a set of societal values, um, ra rather than the absence of all of that in so many quarters of American life. Um, yeah. It's a very, I mean, as opening, I'm a, I'm a songwriter, so they usually say your first line should really count. You know, you're really, it should, uh, was it Barbara Kingsolver said for her books that the first paragraph should make a promise that the rest of the mm -hmm. book keeps. And, um, and I really love that. And this, for me, this, this poem, this, this first stanza kind of makes a promise. And, 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 uh, and as we enter into it. Yeah. Um, the promise starts to unfold, right? So uh, I spoke about that first 
verse carry in kind of global societal cultural terms, but what you just said reminds me that in those opening lines, he's really addressing me, you, the, the reader as a person. If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, then a pattern that others made may prevail in the world. And following the wrong God home, we may miss our star. But it, it all it starts in so many ways with the importance of us sitting down, especially with those who differ from us politically or culturally, and simply saying, here's who I am. Who are you? You know, t tell me about the life experience that has taken you to, to the viewpoint you have on issues involving race and poverty. And we rarely know much about the other person's story. They rarely know much about our story. And so much gets better understood when we get down to the story level. You know, absolutely. You know, it's like, it's that always turning to wonder. I, I wonder how um, this person came to uh, this opinion or to, came to this way of understanding the world. And you don't really know that unless, unless you ask about the story. And you create a welcome space for that story to be told. I mean, uh, the whole thing about the pattern that others make. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, the, you know, that... that uh, if you're in a particular political party, then you are X, Y, and Z. The other, you're X, Y, and Z, or A, B, C. And um, that that patterns that and assumptions and um, you know ways of thinking about things that someone else created, not mm -hmm. that you created from your own story, and that come out of the understanding, the true understanding of another person's story. And just to take that right down to the conversation that we're having right now, I, as you were speaking, Carrie, I remembered that we first met through our work um, mm -hmm. maybe 12, 15 years ago, although I can't possibly be old enough for it to have been that long. <laughs> I, 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 know, I know that for Me a fact. Me either. But it's true. It, 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 it's not fake news. That happened actually 12 yeah. or 15 mm -hmm. years ago. Yeah. And we, we, our first... Uh, encounter was around um, your request that I write some liner notes for the for the Betty's Diner album, but it yeah. wasn't long after that that we started saying to each other, "Tell me your story." Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I'm interested in your work. What what story is behind it? And out of that uh, has has grown for me very fruitful continuing engagement with all kinds of things, including this podcast. And I know that there are lots and lots of people listening to this who have a similar tale to tell in their own lives of a, of a meaningful vocational relationship that happened because we got to know each other's stories. And something changed, something shifted, something really opened up and deepened. Yeah, yeah the, the idea of hearing one another's story changing something, mm -hmm. you know, on a really mm -hmm. fundamental level level sometimes yeah yeah well how about you read the uh, the second stanza and we take that next step okay well um for there is many a small betrayal in the mind a shrug that lets the fragile sequence break sending with shouts the horrible errors of childhood storming out to play through the broken dike yeah that one i think goes very deep 
into all the things that form us, even in childhood, um, and that if if they're not addressed, if they're not unresolved, maybe I should say form us and sometimes deform us in childhood, if they're not addressed, if they if they remain unresolved, they become those those horrible errors of childhood, um, th- those accidents of childhood, those those wounds that we sometimes accumulate in childhood, they become those horrible errors of childhood that storm out to play through the broken dike. And the one that the one that comes quickly to mind that we've talked about before is how sadly, you know, as 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 kids gladly and in fact uh, uh, gloriously, I think we're we're born whole. Mm-hmm. We we come into this world as beings in whom there is no division between what's on the inside and what's on the outside. Right? Mm-hmm. A kid, a little, a child. One of the reasons we love being around small children is that they don't have a governor in there saying, you know, I better not express happiness or I better not express rage at this moment because it would be socially inappropriate. They yeah. just go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever is on the inside comes instantly to the outside, both literally and metaphorically. <laughs> well, uh, that too. The, yeah. <laughs> they, and, and yet, early in life, in school, we start learning it's not safe to be in the outer world with who we really are, right? And that's one of the horrible errors of childhood. We become afraid of being ourselves. And uh, and I, I that that part of it about the shrug that lets the fragile sequence break, you know, I, that that line really really pulled me in. What is the shrug? You know, mm-hmm. that 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 breaks that breaks the uh, you know, what connects us, what's mm. connecting things. You know, there's a fragile sequence that, you know, that connects us to one another, to ourselves, you know, and and uh, this idea of a shrug, like, well, what can I do? You know, I, or, yeah, I see it, but, you know, I'm busy. You know, I mean, there's so many things that shrug can kind of um, point to where, where it's it's easier to shrug than to try to keep that sequence that beautiful fragile sequence of connection um, yeah. going i think that's a very insightful comment and i hadn't really thought deeply about that simple little word in the poem shrug right mm-hmm. it's that's the magic of poetry is that there's so many words that demand attention and I'm thinking about those moments in my life when, especially in my younger years, when I didn't know myself very well and I didn't always, you know, trust, I didn't trust my own instincts. I, you know, you kind of go along to get along um, at a certain, at certain points in your life. And I think then the shrug was, well, you know, this doesn't feel right to me or mm-hmm. um, there's, there's something wrong here. Yeah. But if I say that, and if I get in the way of what's happening, I'm going to be unpopular, uh, or yeah. I'm going to pay some kind of price. That's a shrug. It's like, well, whatever. Everybody else is doing it, you know. Not not big, serious stuff, like robbing a store, although that does unfortunately happen for some kids. I didn't grow up in that kind of climate of desperation, but... Other things happened that caused me 
to deny my own identity and integrity, I think. And when that becomes habitual, that shrug, Mm -hmm. uh, and we carry it into our adult years, it just takes us to some terrible, terrible places. And I see that fragile sequence um, uh, in two different ways. I see the fragile sequence of that connection, you know, that, that, we, that, that we don't want to break. But then also right now, we have some patterns, uh, the patterns that were talked about in the first stanza, that have broken. You know, COVID disrupted something for us. You know, disrupted the, you know, the life of the American workaholic, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, It broke the perpetual motion of our lives and perpetual motion of certain kinds of ideas in our culture. Um, You know, and for some people, that break in the perpetual motion has been a welcome, a welcome experience in that reflection on what is what really matters. Mm -hmm. To slow down enough, do I really want to shrug here? Or do I really want to go deeper here? Mm-hmm. You know, what's, what is it that, that, what is being true, being true to who I am right now mean? So there's, there's been, and for some people, this break in the action has just been really hard, really painful, really anxiety ridden, because I don't know if I want to go there, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but there has been this break in the pattern, uh, a break in some of the sequences and, and therein is an opportunity um, in terms of the break of the patterns that have kept us down. But, but, um, but also, like I said, I keep seeing the flip side of that line, you know, but, but there are sequences, there are connections that we are also becoming more aware of, that we are connected in beautiful and sometimes uh, terrible ways, but right. we're connected, we're all, each one of us. So, so yeah, that line, I said, that line really, really pulled me in. Yeah, well, I think that's, I mean, I think we're taking a deep dive into a single word in the context of, you know, a much larger pattern of the poem. Um, and I think for me, I'm feeling what a valuable thing that is to do. Um, so I want to say one more word about the COVID uh, experience, the pandemic experience, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's made, you know, those of us who um, are privileged enough not to have to go to work every day and be in public. We, we owe so much to the necessary workers in all kinds of arenas who mm. ha- had to do that. And may they be safe and may they be well. Absolutely. But for a, a lot of the rest of us, it's created uh, an opportunity for reflection, for actually holding things, observing things, feeling things that we never felt before because we were shrugging. And the most powerful example that I've been reflecting on is the fact that um, a lot of us who don't have to think about death on a daily basis in the course of what we used to call ordinary life Mm -hmm. have now had to think about death all the time. In, in relation to ourselves, the people we love, including our kids and our parents. No one is exempt. And at every moment of our lives, for months now and for months to come, we've, yeah. we're asking ourselves in either a conscious or, or now habituated way, if I go out and pick up that UPS package that just arrived, am I going to die? Mm-hmm. 
If I go to the store and get the food I need for me and my family, am I going to die? If I have to go to the doctor's office, as I did this morning for a routine procedure, am I going to die? Am I going to catch something? So we've been in a culture that likes to not think about death, at least our death. I mean, we're, we're obsessed with it in popular culture. But in a culture that's in denial of death, as American culture has been, for people like you and me, who don't have to f- confront it daily. Um, we've been immersed in this. And I believe, I believe that that immersion is part of the reason why so many white people like you and me were just horrified by the sight of yet another state-sanctioned, put quotes around that, but I think you know what I mean, state-sanctioned killing of an African-American male who was only suspected of having passed a counterfeit $20 bill in a store. Not exactly a capital crime. And here's a, a policeman with his knee on this man's neck, George Floyd's neck, who's there for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And since the, the motif behind COVID death is the inability to breathe. Mm. I think there was a powerful connection in the white consciousness between that fear that we're, we as white people are now confronting and the sight of a man being strangled by the knee of an officer of the state for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And at some level, I think, that goes all the way back to the beginning of this country and the literally thousands of black people who were lynched, which means not being able to breathe. To breathe. I think part of what's going on right now, and, and it's tragic, but the uprising, the protest, which is so, so multiracial and multi-class, I think is somehow related to all of this, is that we're no longer able to shrug. Yes. And say, whatever, as we have done time after time after time, the we again being lots of white people, with time after time with other unjust killings of African Americans for which no one was held accountable. So, big topic in our day. It is. And yes, you know, because I think that's been a big question for a lot of people. Why did so many uh, people? in the white community respond with so much heart, so much uh, like open-heartedness and grief than ever before. What, what was it? And I think it's very astute. It's really interesting what you just said about the connection of not being able to breathe, of, of people having a visceral sense of there's, there's a danger that's kind of here all around us that randomly you or I or someone we love you know may be taken and and that's a reality that the communities of color have lived with always in this country yeah Yeah, exactly and exactly and you know the the opening of so many people's hearts you know I think I think that's interesting because you know at at this point then it's like we're looking at why now? And some of the answers are, are perhaps 
maybe our 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 thread into what next mm -hmm. yeah ab absolutely i think that's right we all you know we're habituated to shrug we again being white people like you and me we can't shrug anymore at least not so easily and and we we will never be able to fully identify with the experience of a black person in american culture or in other parts of the world but we now have at least this small window this this small connection into that experience and i think for a lot of folks that's not going to go away any more than covid is going to go away there are moments when once you have seen the thing you can't unsee it right. and i i think for many people not ever some people will go back to sleep and he talks about that in this poem that when you have awakened to something when when you see the thing that you cannot unsee um to choose not to go back to sleep right and and right. so that's what some of the conversation i think in terms of that thread going forward you know what are the conversations that we need to be having um within different communities communities together you know what what are the conversations um how are we creating a space that we can have those conversations because they're not easy conversations it's like because someone becomes awake doesn't mean getting up in the morning is like easy <laughs> right know? exactly exactly you know? and you're often waking up in the dark uh, in terms of cultural darkness yeah um, and it's like well i'm feeling around in the dark trying to figure out what next but but i think that's a really important thing um that once it has been seen, it cannot be unseen. And once a person has become awake, then the question is, how do I stay awake? And what yeah. do I do with this understanding? Yeah. And even if you're tempted back to sleep, you have this memory that I was awake once and I was seeing things in 3D and Technicolor, literally. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I value that experience. I want to get back there. One of the amazing things, one of the miracles for me is that people are not turning away, are not shrugging. That's hopeful for to me and hopeful in a way that, um, unfortunately, it's come through so much tragedy and come through so much suffering. But there's something hopeful in that this wide number of people, this, this, this collective of, of people have decided to, to not turn away. That's that's absolutely true, and even we're going as we move toward the next verse. I think it's worth noting, and this is something you and I have talked about before, that there is still a very large cadre of people who are turning away from, for example, the ongoing reality of COVID nineteen, mm -hmm. um, or, yeah. or who are choosing uh, to put less value on the lives that will be taken by COVID-19 than they do on getting back to, quote, life as normal. And they find various ways to say, well, COVID-19 is fake news, or COVID-19 is a hoax, or COVID-19 is this or that. Um, so the capacity, the human capacity, and I think the American capacity, to look away from the obvious is a very deep and wide capacity. And I think part of not going back to sleep is to keep mm -hmm. that fact on your radar. Yeah, yeah. 
So do you want to read this, the third verse or the third stanza? Sure. As you know, it's one that's very powerful for me. <clears throat> and as elephants parade holding each elephant's tail, but if one wanders, the circus won't find the park. I call it cruel, and maybe the root of all cruelty, to know what occurs, but not recognize the fact. I call it cruel, and maybe the root of all cruelty, to know what occurs, but not recognize the fact. So, in those opening lines about elephants parading, and one wanders, and they don't find the park, I think he's, in a way, talking about leadership, at least that's my projection on it, and how we can be misled, um, which I'm afraid we are a lot, um, yes. if, if we choose to just follow the leader. But the real meat of this verse for me is in those last two lines, Mm -hmm. it's the root of all cruelty to know what occurs but not recognize the fact. So we've known for a very long time, Thomas Jefferson knew that the words in the Declaration of Independence and in the Constitution weren't really operationally true. No, um, they Jefferson, were aspirational, not, not actual reality. Yeah. Jefferson actually wrote about it. I was reading a piece this morning um, about how he, he said the institution of slavery will bring this country down if, if we don't deal with it. And we know he owned slaves and fathered a child with an enslaved woman. We all know that. But he himself was aware of this reality, this tragic reality, this horrific violation of human rights and of the words in our founding documents themselves. And, and yet, he recognized it to an extent in his statement that this will bring the country down if we don't remedy it. And yet, he didn't fully recognize it. Because if he had, had, had been fully cognizant of the gross hypocrisy, contradiction, immorality he would have done more about it. He certainly would have witnessed in a personal way, but, but he didn't. And that pattern has continued throughout American history for white people, especially, especially for white men who were the original we the people, uh, that, that we the people did not include women, it didn't include native peoples, it didn't include enslaved human beings, it, there are lots of folks, and, and it didn't include men who, who weren't landed gentry, who didn't possess property. And so there is a lot that we, uh, that established the cruelties of American culture that have been, has been with us from the very beginning. And then we, you know, come up to my own lifetime, our own lifetimes, where time after time after time, a person of color is murdered in a state-sanctioned way, and the executioners are found not guilty uh, or subjected to a lot lower yeah. penalties than I would be if I did the same thing. To know what occurs, but to not recognize the fact. Um, I mean, that's so powerful how many times. Now, and we're, we, you know, I, I look at that very powerfully as it applies to 
the kind of conversations that we're having right now, the awakenings we're having right now uh, in terms of race. But I also think about uh, thinking about that personally, you know, how many times did I kind of know something mm-hmm. for a long time, mm-hmm. but kind of wasn't ready or didn't quite get it yet. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that was, and it was not good for me. It was not good for maybe people around me. It's like, you know, to, to know something, but to not recognize it yet. You know, that's, that's inner work. But how that also applies to like the conversation, some of the really important conversations we're having right now. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a great uh, insight. I think that takes us, you know, that, that links for me the social political stuff with our personal lives, uh, because when you know, as you said, how many times have I stepped into the same pothole again mm-hmm. in my life yeah. with, without saying to myself. I'm about to do it again. Do you want to do really want to do it again, Parker? (laughs) Because here it comes. Um, And in our in culturally, politically, uh, you know, one pattern that comes to me, one pothole that comes to me is here comes the big lie again. Yeah. You know, here here comes the person who's telling me this isn't real. It may look real. The scientist may say it's real, but isn't it isn't real? It's a hoax. It's fake news, you know. It's 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 a plot perpetrated by this or that enemy of me and my political ideology, and people buy it because, as aspiring totalitarians have known for centuries, if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes people's truth. And I think that the the word that he repeats the word cruel and cruelty twice, that it's. It's a cruel thing. It's a root of cruel things to ourselves and to others. Yeah. And I think also this, it also um, dovetails with the inner work, the outer work that we're all, you know, that's really important right now. There's really important outer work we need to be doing. You know, and how do we engage with, I'm feeling an open, a, an opening, an awakeness. I'm seeing this chance to change a pattern, whether it's personally in my life because I had to slow down for a while or whether it's societal because there's an mm-hmm. opening here. There's that on the outer level, but then there's also the, the inner work that, mm-hmm. that also has to happen. What, and, and, and the kind of cruelty that is to others and ourselves when we, we, we don't do that inner work. Um, right. Yeah. You know. And that, that you lifted up a word a moment ago, the, the word root. Um, and that, got me to reflecting on the fact that this this is about uprooting an invasive species in our lives. Racism, yeah. mm-hmm. structural poverty, the big lie. Um, it's not enough, as I understand it, with invasive species that you lop them off at the top above ground. You yeah. have to take them out by the root in order to stop the damage they're doing. And the inner work that you referred to, I think, is a lot about uprooting, right? And and not even recognizing the fact. I mean, okay, I'm thinking about I'm thinking about um, structural sexism. I mm-hmm. mean, how many women are in the House and Senate mm-hmm. in comparison to men? I don't think we're even at a quarter. I've lived a lot of my life trying to figure out what to unlearn there. That to know what occurs, that this deep down does not feel right. Mm-hmm. 
um, that this deep down isn't working for me, mm-hmm. but not recognizing or being able to even articulate it yet. Yeah. You know, that yeah. sometimes there's that process of it too. Yeah. And it, I think as a man, I can also say that it's not working for me either. It's never worked for me, mm-hmm. you know, to deprive the environment, the system in which I live of the wisdom and experience of female voices. I mean, we just in our last podcast, we, we interviewed Valerie Carr, who's uh. a powerful example of the kind of leadership that women can and do offer. Yes. And, and as I listened yeah. to her, you know, I was thinking often how horrible that I grew up in a couple of uh, se- several decades when the, the issue of sexism and misogyny and the denial of women uh, access to positions of leadership was just the way of the world. How deforming that was and how how much richer my early decades would have been if all of that had not been the pattern of life that everyone took for granted. So, well, shall we go to the next stanza? You know, I'm so deep in this poem that I have no idea how, how much time <laughs> we've spent on it, but I think the answer is yes. <laughs> Maybe we should do the last two stanzas together. I don't know. Uh, let's do, I'll just do the next, I'll read the next stanza and you can read the last one. How about that? Okay. And so I appeal to a voice, to something shadowy, a remote important region in all who talk. Though we could fool each other, we should consider, lest the parade of our mutual life get lost in the dark. For it is important that awake people be awake, or a breaking line may discourage them back to sleep. The signals we give, yes or no or maybe, should be clear. The darkness around us is deep. And I I think that we'd both have things to say in closing about the impact of those two stanzas for us. I'm, I'm very grateful to Stafford for the lines... I'm appealing to a voice, something shadowy, a remote, important region in all who talk. Mm -hmm. Those lines take us back to what you were saying a bit ago about the importance of inner work. It seems to me inner work is all about, in the first place, locating that inner voice, that remote, important region in Uh all of us who speak, and listening to what it has to say to us. Because what it's often saying is, stop, this is wrong. This is, that's the voice of the soul, you know. You're putting your soul at risk. You're, you're in peril when you try to defy both reality and morality um, and the well-being of all. Um, you're, you're toxifying not only your own life, but the ethos in which you live. And then he goes on to say, though we could fool each other, we should consider lest we get lost in the dark. And of course, we fool each other all the time. You know, we're, we're sitting with that person whose, whose views seem incredibly toxic to us. Not, you know, toxic personally, toxic in terms of people we love. And yet, we give that person a pass. We try to fool ourselves by saying inwardly, 
I, I either have nothing to say about this or, more accurately, I don't want to say anything about this because I just don't want to upset the apple cart here. I, I'm, I have to say, I don't know of any relationship so valuable that when push comes to shove, I should sit there and listen to things that, that are death-dealing for me and the people I love. I, I find no Absolutely. reason in myself to do that. Would I like to keep that relationship going? Sure, I would. But the price of a relationship built on lies is too high to pay. You know, I appeal to a voice, something shadowy, the remote, important region. He's asking us to listen, you know, to listen more carefully. Because if we don't listen, we don't hear. Mm -hmm. And how challenging it is to listen to our inner voice. How challenging it is um, then to act upon it. You know, that what you're talking about, that that not wanting to upset the apple cart. I really know that feeling. I'm just if I'm just being honest about it, I really know that feeling so mm -hmm. well. I'm an I'm a nice Midwestern person. <laughs> Heaven forbid you should make someone uncomfortable. You know? I mean I'm just being honest here. And I've had to really wrestle with that, that um being gracious, being creating uh, hospitality and a and a welcoming space. I think all of these things are really, really important, and and that's part of what's going to move us forward. But at the same time, a sense of erasing myself, erasing who I am to keep the peace. You know, it's kind of too high of a cost, and it doesn't really help me, and it doesn't really help anything else. So, so yeah. But I, I. I I, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very familiar with that. Ah, shall I be gracious? No, this is not a moment for graciousness. This is a moment when something is like, as you said, the way you put it, death dealing for myself or for people uh, I care about. Yeah. And, <clears throat> you know, while I'm, while I'm uh, absolutely certain uh, based on a lot of testimony that that's the niceness thing is a real issue for women. Mm -hmm. It's it's also an issue for white middle-class males like me yeah. uh, who've been taught to get along in order to get ahead, you know. And uh, it's, it's, it's easier, I think, for a man to, for example, to express anger and not get... Um, shamed for it, whereas a woman is more likely to get shamed or people will attempt to shame her. Um, not so with men. It's kind of, I guess, part of the gender model uh, for in each, in each case. But it's a struggle, I think, for men to be honest, especially in work situations where we make all kinds of compromises around what we know to be wrong you know, to, to, we're looking at one of the roots of all cruelty, but we're not recognizing the fact. We're not saying, oh, here it comes again. I need to get in its way this, this time. And it kind of comes back there to that, you know, to, to not go back to sleep. The signals mm -hmm. we give, the yes or the no or the maybe should be clear. Because the d darkness around us is deep. We did the whole podcast on the darkness is deep. 
so I will learn to garden in the dark. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that we find clarity, and that's where the inner work comes in, I think. You know, mm-hmm. the inner work that helps the outer work. Yeah. But yeah. to find clarity, so you're able to say, you know, everything in me is saying this is wrong, and so I, I need to say that, Yeah. you know. Yeah. Or the, the humility to say, I just don't know. The maybe, yeah. it's like, I, I really, I need to learn about this. I need to talk about this more. Mm-hmm. I need to understand this better. I, I don't have an answer here on this one, and, and, and I don't know. Um, or to say yes to something, the great mm-hmm. yeses in our lives, which sometimes are the great risky things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we do. The yes, the no, the maybe, to be clear with it, to be honest with it. Those are signals. They're like, there's a sparkler out in the dark, mm-hmm. you know, of, of, of something really authentic and true. Yeah. And, and I think that this line, the final words in this poem, the darkness around us is deep, and I know you think this too, is, is, a, is a really important line in our time. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm not, and I know you're not, a, a sky is falling kind of person. You know, the sky is falling. I, I, I'm generally not a total alarmist about things. Um, lots of stuff over the course of history that human beings have worked through. And yet there are also endings in human history. There's the collapse of empires. There's the collapse of vision and dreams. There's descent into horror, as in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Um, and the losses are from those moments in history are intolerable. So, so here's a way to put what I th- am feeling very deeply right now. It's time for us to take Thomas Jefferson seriously, not only in the visionary words of the founding documents of this country, but also in his warning 240 years ago that if we did not fix the racial injustice in this society, which was then represented for him by the institution called slavery, in which he himself was a participant. If we do not do not fix that, this republic would come to an end. This democracy would sour and curdle and die. And a lot of thoughtful people are saying at this moment, that's a real possibility if we don't get real and honest and say yes or no, and when we need to, maybe, about our current situation. Um, As a non-alarmist, sadly, I have no trouble joining those voices these days and saying, this is a critical moment in history that we may or may not work our way through. Um, as those who've read my stuff know, um, I see many, many signs of crypto or hidden fascism, and it's not always so hidden. Not at all. Uh, the, the patterns that preceded the Holocaust are self-evident in this society right now. And I, I may lose some friends, but I have no trouble saying no to that. I, to calling it out and 
doing whatever I can to stand against it. And I think one of the hopeful things in this moment is that lots of Americans are feeling the same way. I think so too. And and yes, the dark, there is a kind of darkness that has come into our world and kind of quoting Valerie from our last podcast, but is this the darkness of the tomb or the darkness of the womb? And we are at that critical moment in time where, yes, a kind of crypto or not so crypto agents of, of, of fascist thought and uh, action is out there. And also at the same time, I hear them being outvoiced. Mm-hmm. At, in this moment, the uprising, the, the, the peaceful protests were very, they were so encouraging. They're hard. There was a lot of hard things about them too. And we could go on more about that. I, I feel like it's, it's too much to just dive into all of that at, in the, at the end of the podcast. But, um, but the fact that these peaceful protests were, were made up of so many different kinds of voices mm-hmm. and that those voices uh, are becoming louder and stronger. There is an opening and a possibility but at the same time, there's a, a, a great danger. We're at a we're at a critical point. I'm I'm kind of choosing to think this is the darkness of a womb. Right, I am I am too, Carrie. And if one believes that, if one believes that, then one has to become a midwife of that birth. Yes, that means yeah. And I I I, I love the metaphor. I just uh, if anyone has not listen to that podcast go go back and listen to it but but yeah when you decide this is this is the darkness of a womb this is a moment in history it's our moment to be midwives in a however we can do that been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out our next episode. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation too. And now we've got a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard on today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer. And much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation to Allison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, and production, and for midwifing a better world.